what's going on my friends? How's it going out there? Pete Davidson back with another edition of the Rotobomb Podcast. Today we are talking running backs. Um, hopefully you guys got something out of the QBs yesterday. I was way coffee up. I gotta go back and listen to that thing. Maybe I should re-record it. Um, but the coffee did help me get through the thing real fast, so I don't know. Getting into the running backs today, we're gonna we're gonna do a traditional 32 backfields where we go through this by team. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to talk about the upper rounds and get specific about you know who I'm taking, why and where, uh, and you know where I think there are a lot of gaps um, where you really and what I mean I mean guys who are in the same tier is what I mean to say and you know where I think really make your own choices there. I'm I'm just going to give you how I see it. Um, and I really think there's a lot of room to move within some of these tiers to just be aggressive and go after your guys, you know. Um, go after the guys where you're going to be comfortable with the decision you made. Um, you know, if you're higher on uh, Joe Mixon versus Dalvin Cook, I don't have a problem with that and vice versa. Um, if you don't trust Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, you know, you know, in that second tier in the middle of the first round, I understand it. Uh, I'm definitely probably going to grab a couple shares of him in that area, uh, and I'll probably ag- be aggressive with him at auctions. But let's talk about the first tier. Um, and for me, it's it's you know it's one through five. Um, you could uh, maybe create two separate tiers or even three within this tier if you think McCaffrey is like head and shoulders. And I don't know that he is this year. Uh, I certainly think he belongs at the top. Uh, or certainly in the top two. So we could call it a, a mini tier at the top with Christian McCaffrey at one, Saquon Barkley at two. Uh, I think Saquon Barkley definitely has uh, a 40, somewhere between like 40 and 50% chance to outperform McCaffrey. It really all has to do with the Giants. I mean, look, I, I think Saquon Barkley is the more valuable player um, to an NFL team. I just think he's bigger and faster and stronger and possesses a lot of the skills McCaffrey has. Maybe not quite uh, as detailed when it comes to route running uh, and stuff like that. But certainly, I think he has the, the, the talent to do it. We saw that in his college film. Unfortunately, he was used more diversely in college than he's been in the pros so far, which is sort of the problem, which I've been talking about with Barkley uh, for a while now. You guys have heard this before, so I'm not going to I'm not gonna beat a dead horse here. Um, but, you know, Barkley, I think, you know, if, if, if Saquon Barkley were on the Saints, he would be the number one pick in fantasy. It wouldn't be close. We wouldn't debate it. Um, but he's a giant. Kamara's a Saint. You know, if Kamara was a giant, I don't know where he'd be. And I like Kamara. Don't get me wrong. Um, but this, this is redraft. We know the situations. We know the teams they're on. We know the health of the offensive lines and quarterbacks and coordinators. You know, we don't have to gaze too far into the future here. We're, we're talking about the present. Um, so... McCaffrey, Barkley, then I'm Zeke, mostly just for solidity's sake. Elliot's already been through the COVID. He seems to be fine. Uh, he had a mild case of it. Um, so, you know, right there, he's generally a good bet to stay healthy. Zeke hasn't had a major injury. Um, you know, the time he missed a couple years back was, you know, a suspension, not an injury. So uh, Elliot seems like a pretty safe bet to me. He's got the great offensive line. He's got an offense that's going to be a hot knife through butter. Uh, if he loses some volume to his backup, I wouldn't be too worried about it because the touchdown potential is really strong in this offense. So Zeke, for me, very comfortable third uh, guy on my board. You know, if you want to get crazy and take somebody else, God bless you. There are a handful of running backs you could argue for in that spot and it would be fine. Um, 
but for me, it's Elliot. Uh, then I'm going to Kamara. Um, again, you know, in a full PPR, I, I, I'm going to go Kamara here. Uh, the Saints can play against any team in football. Uh, you know, you take the toughest defense out there, they can find a way to give Mara, uh, Kamara some fantasy uh, points. So I really like him. He, you know, game flow doesn't affect him. Uh, just a really good, solid fantasy player. Um, everything seems to be fine with the knee and all of that stuff. So uh, Kamara, lock, load, take him. It's all good. Uh, number five may surprise some people, but Derrick Henry to me is just so solid. Um, and, you know, the, the, the whole team revolves around him. Um, if the rest of the team starts to explode and do well, that's only going to help him. Um, you know, in a, in, in a situation where they could spread people out, throw the ball more, then you're going to see Henry running against lightly packed, well, maybe not lightly packed, but not stacked boxes, which he faces quite a bit. So, I, you know, Henry's just a good back. I mean, you know, I know some people for whatever reason, have trouble getting their heads around that. But the dude's just a big monster back, uh, and he's probably going to catch more passes this year. So uh, I'm very comfortable with Derrick Henry. Dear God, they barely have a backfield behind him. They've got a rookie and a bunch of nobodies. So uh, Derrick Henry's an easy call for me at the five spot, uh, given all of the stuff that we're going to talk about in the next tier. Because the guys in the next tier, to me, have bigger issues than uh, you could ever paint uh, for Henry. So that's my top tier, and it's 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 you know, ordered that way. The only place where I get a little jumpy, I, you know, I, in certain situations, I may decide to just take Henry over Kamara, uh, depending on what kind of league I'm in. Um, but, but for the most part, it lies the way I have it here. Uh, so again, one through five, McCaffrey, Barkley, Zeke, uh, Kamara, and Derek Henry. And, you know, it's probably worth noting that there's no way I'm taking a receiver in this area. I'm Five backs are coming off before I'm even thinking about a receiver. Now, in this next area, Michael Thomas on some level becomes interesting. I know for some folks, probably Devontae Adams would be the name. Um, for me, Devontae's had enough physical stuff where I don't really, you know, in a, in a draft where I know I'm going to be getting stud receivers in multiple rounds, whether I take one in the first round or not, I'm just not compelled to go away from running back uh, towards a receiver that's had some concussions and had some physical stuff. Now, Michael Thomas, on the other hand, has been remarkably durable. We know exactly what kind of role he's got. So if I was going to go receiver, it would be Michael Thomas. But quite frankly... You know, I really just don't see myself taking receivers in the first round this year. Maybe if I come down to the 11 or 12 spot and Thomas is sitting there and I can do the math that I, I really like the running back I'm going to get on the other side no matter what, maybe I would do it. But, you know, for me right now, I really, running backs in the first two rounds, it's not an obligation, uh, but man, it's definitely the desired outcome. Uh, because it's just... It, the, the, the quality of running backs that you get once you get into that third round, at some point in the third, there's really nobody left that I want to take over any of the receivers that we're looking at. So once I get into that third and fourth and fifth and sixth, in those four rounds, are, those are really based on all the drafting I've done over the last couple weeks. Those are the rounds, ideally, I want to hit receiver every single round. Uh, you know, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Now, Will I? No. I'm very unlikely I'm going to take four straight receivers in those rounds because I you know, my, my team needs other things, right? So um, anytime the running back is worth more than the receiver on my board, for the most part, I'm going to take the running back. Or if it's close, I'm going to take the running back. So first two rounds, it's pretty easy. 
Um, you get into that third round, you know, Jonathan Taylor, or if, you know, uh, you know, if a guy like Connor or Jacobs, um, you know, or for some silly reason, Eckler, which I saw in a draft last week, or Aaron Jones, occasionally one of these guys will just sort of get past the turn. In that case, obviously, you snatch those guys up. The guy I've been taking a lot in the third is Jonathan Taylor. He's often there in that mid to late third area. And, you know, do I have the receivers ranked higher than him? Yeah. But Taylor's got so much upside, and that offense is so well suited for him. Uh, some of you may remember back before Taylor had a landing spot, you know, I thought he was going to be one of the more overvalued guys because, you know, I thought, you know, he doesn't really have a, a pass catching skill set per se. But man, he's not going to. I mean, first of all, we don't know that he can't do it. For all for all I know, Taylor will catch a fair amount of passes. We'll find out. He's got the perfect quarterback for it, obviously. You know, so Taylor got Philip Rivers to help with the with the targets, and he got you know he went to a team that blocks the living heck out of the run and loves to run. So, um, you know, for me. Uh, obviously, there's no way to deny Taylor as a talent carrying the football, and he went to a place that is going to let him do it right from the drop, behind a really good line, uh, in a well-schemed offense with a veteran quarterback. So for me, Taylor, when he's there for me in the third, I'm going to do it for the most part, um, which means in a lot of these drafts, I'm going to be starting out you know, running back, running back, running back. And it may not feel amazing when you do it for some folks, because some folks are just addicted to those receivers, and I understand. No, it's not a problem. Um, but having gone through about 20 drafts in the last five days, um, yeah, you know, I have just found that when I start with a three running back start, as long as I can play those three running backs. I mean, if one of them is forced to the bench, if I'm using a third-round pick on a bench player, it's a little bit harder. But as long as I can flex that third back, I mean, it's just a no-brainer for me because throughout the rest of the draft, I am drafting from a position of power. Anytime I want to go for a fourth running back, I can do it. So if people let a running back slip to me that they shouldn't, I'll go four running backs. And I can rotate them in three spots with good matchups. And I've got bye week replacements and injury replacements. You know, the kind of redundancy that helps you over a long fantasy season. Not to mention, I've got great tradeability. So I'm not afraid of taking three and then going, oh my gosh, there's a great fourth one available. I'll freaking take them. I don't care. Right? So... From that perspective, the three is good. But then from the other perspective, now, if you go running back, running back, running back, you are now looking at the two primary receiver rounds, and you don't have any compelling reason to do anything else, but just take those receivers, and you know they're going to be there. They're going to be there. You know, unless you don't like Terry McLaurin or Shark or, you know, you know, so, I mean, really, just all these guys. I mean, the worst case scenario in the, in the fifth is probably like Devontae Parker. That's like the worst case scenario. Um, so... For me, running back, running back, running back, then receiver, receiver, and then in the sixth round, we're in great shape because if a, if a quarterback that we love is so, still somehow on the board, we could take him. If a receiver that we love, like a Devontae Parker or a Hollywood Brown, is on the board or a Will Fuller, we can go that way. If one of the rookie running backs who we really like is still on the board, we can go that way. The sixth round, you've got all the options open, which, by the way, is a really good thing because the sixth round is one of those rounds where you've got like a 50-50 chance at getting an elite player. And if you've already crossed a position off your possibilities, wouldn't it suck if that elite player was that was at that position, right? So, you know, if you take Mahomes in the second round and then freaking, you know, Kyler Murray is there late sixth or something like that, gosh, you could have taken the running back, still had Kyler, you'd be in amazing shape. So and it, you know it works with tight ends too. You take you, you know, you take Zach Ertz in the third or the fourth round, and then, you know, um, 
uh, you know, this would be more in a t tight end premium league, but you know, like Evan Ingram sitting there in 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 the late six, you know, you, you you probably gave up a stud receiver for not a lot of gap at tight end. Um, you know, same kind of thing. If you if you have closed out the receiver position, you know, if you go receiver early and then you take receivers and you only have one running back and none of the running backs get to you in the sixth round and Hollywood Brown is still on the board or Will Fuller is still on the board. You, know, you might just have to go zero RB if you're in a trading league and maybe set something up. But if you can keep yourself not necessarily balanced, but in a position to take whatever the best player is in round six, you are going to win round six a lot. And winning round six specifically in the drafts I've been in has been a big deal, just for what it's worth. And you know this this holds true in the seventh as well. Sometimes some of these guys will actually slip into the seventh. One of the quarterbacks maybe, one of the running backs certainly. I got Dobbins in the seventh yesterday. So. You know, keeping your options open is a good thing. And when you get the running backs off the board early, when you get when you get those guys, those are the positions where people are reaching this year is running backs. So if you don't, it, it's really going to suck to have to take David Montgomery, you know, over some receiver that you really like, or you know, Montgomery I don't hate that much, but gosh, to, you know, to have to take, um, you know. You know Ronald Jones when you and, and you know I don't hate Ronald Jones but I, I would hate to have to take him over a guy like DJ Shark you know I, I don't want to do that so going running back early gives you that ability to do what you want in rounds four five six and seven and I'm telling you it can make a big difference in putting an elite team together uh, because again those first three running backs you take and if Taylor's the third you're looking at you know elite running backs through the first three rounds. So you can build a, a team with like six elite players on it. So anyway, I'm babbling. I'm getting into general stuff. But that's what I wanted to do this year is I want to contain all this strategy stuff while I'm talking about the positions. It's sort of an organic way to do it. Um, so let's jump into the second tier. Um, we're going to jump around backfield by backfield soon. But the second tier and... Hilaire, Dalvin Cook, Mixon, Kenyon, Drake, Miles Sanders. I cannot stress enough that I barely have these guys in any order. I mean, the order I just read out is the order in the rankings, but the separation between Hilaire and Sanders may be nothing. It may be in Sanders' favor. Same thing with Drake. Joe Mixon, I can make an excellent, excellent argument for just putting Mixon at the top of this tier. All of them can make a good claim. Now, Dalvin's the guy I would have up there, and he was up there. The reason he's not now is you've got Schefter and these guys starting to blow this horn that Cook, you know, is really unhappy and that he may find a way not to play if he doesn't get his contract. I mean, it sounds like crap. I can't imagine why he would do that. But, you know, if, if it's a 10% factor then it's enough to move him down a little bit. So, you know, Cook was in the top tier. Now he's in this tier. Um, he's a floater. I mean, he signs a contract tomorrow. He probably goes to five or four or something like that, okay? Just so you guys understand. Um, but Cook, for now, is sitting here. Um, Hilaire, there is a mystery box element to the pick. But look, they leaned in on this guy. He fits the scheme. Damian Williams is gone. You know, Washington, you know, DeAndre Washington's never really had much of a major role. I think he's going to be there just to sort of, you know, keep him fresh. Maybe they'll use some of the other backs too. But this is Hilaire's thing. They love him. He's going to catch a ton of passes. Unless you are in non-PPR, I just can't see why you wouldn't take this guy somewhere in this tier. Um, again, you want to take Cook ahead of him or Mixon ahead of him? I got no problem with that. Now, right now... 
I can't take Drake or Miles Sanders. Can you Drake or Miles Sanders? I can't take those guys ahead of Hilaire just yet until I get a better vibe on the health. Now, Drake, we're feeling better about, which is why he's currently the 9 and Sanders is the 10. It sounds, it really does sound like Drake was just having sort of a maintenance day. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff about walking boots. Let me just, I have actually been in a walking boot for my left and my right foot. Now, the, the walking boot was not left or right, so I actually used the same walking boot on both feet. Now, the first time I had it, um, it was actually for not a big deal. It was um, just sort of a calf strain, and the doctor basically said the walking boot is going to keep you from favoring it too much. It sort of keeps your mind to keep your gait right, and it sort of evens out your stride a little bit. It keeps, it takes the pain away and keeps me from limping and getting compensation injuries and stuff like that. I was in the thing for less than a week. I came out of it. I was into rehab, and I was good to go. It was really not much anything. Um, the second time I was in it, I <laughs> I blew out a muscle um, in the other leg, same area, and it was a ruptured muscle, and I was in the thing for well over a month, and it was a big deal. So, you know, and obviously walking boots can be for all kinds of different foot injuries and lower leg injuries. So sometimes a walking boot is absolutely a reason to be in distress. Sometimes it's really just a guy taking a maintenance day or two. Um, and it sounds like that's what they're telling us that Drake's is. Now, could they be hiding something a little bit more uh, ugly? Sure. And, you know, that's why we're, we're fading him within the tier right now. Now, Miles Sanders, on the other hand, you know, he's out for multiple weeks. We haven't heard anything about a walking boot, but he's not a lock to play in the opener. So um, while it sounds like he's probably going to be there, you know, the, the non-specific nature of the injury, the ability for these teams to, to not give us all the information, you know, creates a little bit of obscurity and stress. So um, I've still got Sanders there at the end of the first round and Drake as well. Um, you know, if these guys were locked in 100%, um, you know, I might be willing to take them a little bit sooner. Um, you know, maybe I put Sanders up ahead of Mixon just because the offense is so much better. Um, you know, and let's talk about Mixon just for a second while we're there. You know, Mixon's never quite put it together in terms of volume, and I think most of that's due to his team. But all everything's in place for him to do it this year. He's a very talented, multifaceted back. He can catch the football. He can obviously run it. He's on a team that's going to spread people out. He should get the football in a lot of different ways. Um, and, you know, the, the, the line is better. The quarterback is better. Uh, everything really is looking better for Mixon this year. Uh, so for me, I think, you know, He's a guy you can get towards the end of the first round who may end up performing like the guys near the top of the first round. Um, so really, I, I, all five guys in this tier with Hilaire and Cook and Mixon and Drake and Sanders, they're all guys that I'm really targeting. They're guys I want on my teams. Now, the next tier, and this one I think is more debatable. Again, we have five backs. So this is backs 11 through 15. These are all backs I'm comfortable taking in round two. You know, if I have to. Uh, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is a guy I think everyone's running away from him. It's funny. People say they don't like A.J. Dillon, but they're running away from Aaron Jones. <laughs> it's sort of a, there's sort of a paradox in there somewhere. Uh, but the thing for me with Jones is this. He's the guy who knows the offense. He had a year in it last year. He was the guy who stayed healthy most of the year. He was getting tons of touches every week. He was always in the huddle. He was always in the game plan. Uh, Aaron Jones is the back on this team who knows the offense best. He's the back on this team that Aaron Rodgers wants to throw it to the most. You know, he makes people miss. We've seen what he can do. Huge year last year. So here's the thing with Jones. 
even if you're a little uncomfortable with him. If he's sitting there for you in the middle, or you know, towards the end of the second round, pull the and, and especially if you're in a trading league, pull the trigger on Aaron Jones. Take the early part of the year because he's going to be huge for you know, first I would say three or four games because I don't think the rookie is going to start getting into the mix. You know, again, I've talked about this for weeks now, months really. Rookie running backs are going to be dicey this year. They, you know, it always takes time for guys to learn pass pro and stuff like that. So, you know, A.J. Dillon, will he vulture a touchdown here and there? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I don't know. But I don't think he's going to be playing major snaps early. Now, at some point in the year, I do think they're going to start, you know, giving one of the other two backs a fair amount of run to keep Jones fresh. In fact, even early in, in you know, early in the year, they might be doing that with Williams, but I would be really surprised if Aaron Jones wasn't the big feature key in this offense along with Adams in the first, say, two to four weeks. So I would be very tempted. If I was sort of a non-Jones guy, but he was the guy who got to me, just take him. If you're in a trading league, his value will probably be up after a couple games. Um, and, you know, I... Quite frankly, even if these other backs start getting some of the juice, as long as Aaron Jones is getting like 60% of the action, I think he's going to be a real big asset in fantasy because they look to get him the football. Um, so Jones, very comfortable taking him, and I really like the draft and flip after a couple weeks idea. Um, Austin Eckler, similar kind of thing. I think he's going to get off to a really good start. So I'm very, especially again, if I'm in a league that where you can make trades, get that running back, and maybe I can you know put him in a package to get somebody I like more. Who knows? Uh, Nick Chubb. You know, Chubb's down here basically because he's not going to catch a lot of passes, and I'm ranking for at least like 0.5 PPR scoring. So Chubb, I think, is a monster, but the fact that, you know, Hunt is going to be there all year this year means he's going to be hurting his targets all year. Chubb is still going to score a lot of touchdowns. He's still going to touch the ball 20 times a week. He's still got talent all around him, so teams can't just sit there and line up to stop Chubb. They can't. So Chubb's going to be good. Um, being elite is going to be tough with Hunt around. Uh James Conner, next guy, very comfortable taking Conner in the second round. Even better, obviously, when he gets around to me in the third round. Uh, Josh Jacobs, I'm comfortable with this guy. You know, I just, I want to know, you know, I've heard rumors that his shoulder might not be fully healthy. I've downgraded him a little bit. He's a guy I'm looking at news on every day. I don't see him moving up in these rankings necessarily, but I do see my willingness to, you know, snag him, say, mid-second round if he's the last guy who's left. I, you know, I, that's probably something I'm going to be willing to do as long as I feel confident. Um that he's going to be playing all the snaps and that that, that shoulder is doing okay. So Jacobs, Jacobs is a guy that I'm just sort of really keeping my eye on, looking for any news I can get. And that's really it. You know, I mentioned Jonathan Taylor's a guy that I'm targeting in the third. Really, the next group of backs that go down to back 24, not huge separation for me on my wish list from the backs that go from, say, 25 to 30-ish. Um, and we'll talk about these guys as we work through the backfields. All right, we're going to go through the backfields in alphabetical order. It's sort of more fun to go through by division, but I feel a lot of you guys are going to start hunting and pecking now, you know, for the, the backfield or for the player you're looking for. So, you know, feel free. This is going to go uh, from 
well, A to W. So that'll make it a little easier. So starting off with the Cardinals, we already talked about Drake and the foot. Um, the important name to know here, other than Drake, obviously is Chase Edmonds. Uh, Edmonds is a guy I like quite a bit. I watched a lot of his Fordham film. You know, he's, he's a good all-around back. Not as dynamic as Drake, not as big as Drake. I don't think he's going to take the job from Drake or anything like that. But if Drake goes down, I think Edmonds would be a beast. I... I know some people like Eno Benjamin. Eno Benjamin is a back with some appeal, but to me, he's not nearly disciplined enough of a runner. Uh, he's a rookie. It, you know, he's smaller. So to me, Chase Edmonds is clearly the back I want behind Drake. Now, if Drake and Edmonds go down, Eno Benjamin could be really good because he's going to be getting a lot of touches. So Eno Benjamin's a name to know, but for me, he's more of a future years or multiple injury scenario option. Okay. Um, now, as far as Chase Edmonds goes, it really depends on your league, but as soon as you've got your team together and you don't need any more receivers, um, Edmonds is a great, you know, whatever you want to call him, anti-fragility back, zero RB back, or just a guy to stick on your bench who could have major value at some point. Obviously, if you play in a league with very limited bench space, you can't afford to have these, you know, just sort of, you know, dream high-end upside scenario players. You have to sort of bid on them when they become valuable or get to a point in the year where you can afford to put them on your bench. But I play just, and I think a lot of you guys at this point, I think my uh, my site attracts these folks, which is great because I want them. Um, but I play in leagues that um, usually have like 18, 19, 20 bench spots, something like that. Excuse me, roster spots, where I've got as many bench spots as starting spots, that kind of thing. So for me, um, guys like Chase Edmonds have a lot of value. And if you know, if I've got the bench space, um, you know, I'll start taking him pretty much where I have him ranked. Heck, I might even go a little sooner um, right now with Drake with that slight bit of uncertainty. Um, let's move down to the Falcons. I'm getting rid of the mouse, going to the trackpad so you guys don't hear all the clicking. Um, so Atlanta. You know, <laughs> not the most exciting backfield. Um, really, Gurley's the lead guy. He's the only guy I would really consider drafting in most leagues. I just don't, I don't know who the back is behind Gurley that they want to use. I mean, it really could be any of them at this point. I don't particularly love any of these backs for fantasy purposes. Hell is probably my favorite. Um, you know, right now it's a take your pick kind of thing. I don't know that these guys are going to be hugely expensive, even if Gurley, like, goes down. I mean, well, people always throw money at stuff. But uh, for me, this is a Gurley backfield. Gurley is one of these backs that I'm not targeting, but I'm willing. I'm willing to go after Gurley if he, you know, if he falls long enough and if for some reason I really need a running back. But for the most part, you know, Atlanta is a team that I'm wishy-washy on. I'm not sure that it's all going to work. Um, you, you know, it's about the offensive line. We'll see how they do. Um, moving to Baltimore, <laughs> a team where it all works, no matter who's carrying the damn ball. Um, it, you know, if any of the four running backs in this backfield just had the gig and was going to be getting, you know, 18-plus touches a week, I would want them for fantasy in a big way. Any of them. Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill. They're all, you know, good running backs. Uh, they all have, you know, unique capabilities. Um, but, you know, clearly I think Ingram's the guy who's going to put up the most consistent fantasy points from the get-go. He's going to start. He's going to score touchdowns. 
but I, I also think it's going to be the same Mark Ingram that we saw last year, where they're going to be very hesitant to give him more than 50-55% of the action. And, you know, Dobbins is so electric, so exciting, that he can probably put Edwards and Hill on the bench for the most part. I do think this, because Dobbins is going to be so good and because they have so much respect for Ingram, I don't think they're going to move Ingram's touches very much. I can't see Ingram going below 50%. Maybe if Dobbins is lighting the world on fire down to 40 or something. But it, to me, this ends up being a 50-50 split, roughly. With maybe, the, you know, they'll feather in Edwards and Hill occasionally, give him a touch in a blowout, that kind of thing. Or if there's an injury, obviously that changes everything. But to me, this thing's Ingram and Dobbins. Ingram, slightly more valuable because we know he's going to get it from, from the drop. Um, and we know he's going to get scoring chances. Dobbins is the guy on this team who's just going to make a lot of big plays. If they end up giving him a piece of the goal line, he will probably be even either as valuable or more valuable than Ingram. And if there's a player on this team, and I think this is obvious, but I might as well say it, if there's a player in this backfield who can just take it, who can take it and go to 75% of the workload, it's Dobbins. Um, so, you know, if he slips, like I said, I got him in the seventh round the other day. I didn't even think about doing anything else, for what it's worth. Because when you can get that much upside that, that late, you know, you're a clown if you don't do it. Uh, now, if you're in a super deep league, guys, I think Edwards probably over Hill um, is a guy, you, you know, again, super deep league. You're sitting there and, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're drafting after 200 players have been taken already. Uh, I think Gus Edwards is not a bad guy to have at the end of a bench uh, because I think he could be really good if there's an injury ahead of him. Um, moving to Buffalo. This is an interesting backfield. I think um, all three of the names that I'm looking at have some appeal. Um, now, TJ Yeldon, I think, needs an injury, but, I mean, hey, who knows? Um, it's not like Singletary's a big back. Now, Singletary, I've got him ranked probably lower, I think, than you're going to see anywhere. It's really not a rip on the player. It's just that he hasn't been a factor at the goal line. Doesn't look like he's going to catch a ton of passes. Um, you know, and even if he does get some goal line, love the quarterback scores a lot of touchdowns down there. So, you know, to me, Singletary's just got too much that can go wrong. Doesn't mean he's not good. Doesn't mean he's going to, you know, not have some solid flex appeal each week. Maybe he goes lights out and moves into an RB2 area if Zach Moss doesn't play well. I mean, that certainly is there. That's a possibility. Um, so he's not off my board, but he would need to slip really further than he ever slips for me to take him. Zach Moss, on the other hand, even though I have him ranked lower, not very much lower, but a little lower, he's going much later. I've got him ranked inside the top 100, but you can get him later than that quite a bit, which is what I'm going to try to do with him. I'm going to try to get, see if Moss slips a little bit, you know, if I'm in a draft where no one's really high on him, and then I get him for, you know, uh, I, I get I, I get him at like a six, seven round discount compared to Singletary, uh, and I'm off to the races because, here the highway there, sorry about that. Um, you know, I've got these guys ranked pretty close. Um, so if I can get Moss that much cheaper, I love it. I just love it. Um, moving over to Carolina, obviously McCaffrey number one on my board. If I'm going to handcuff McCaffrey in a really deep league, it's going to be Mike Davis. 
That's it. Uh, Reggie Bonafone, Trenton Canton. Um, you know, if for some reason these guys get into the mix, knock on wood, we don't want anything to happen to the big dog. But if they do, they could be interesting. Cannon's an ex-Jet with some speed and some catching ability, and we saw Bonafone doing some decent things. So, um, you know, it's worth knowing about all four of these guys right now, but McCaffrey obviously is the guy you draft, and if you are in a deep league where you're taking handcuffs late, uh, it would be Mike Davis for me. The Bears. You know, at this point, you know, Ryan Nall is a name to know if there's an injury, but this thing's going to come down to a lot of volume for Montgomery, and then we don't know what Cohen's going to be right now. Um, you know, I think Cohen's role could change depending on which quarterback they're using, game flow, that kind of thing. I don't think they're going to forget about Tariq Cohen, um, but I think they want to have a lead back. So I'm very willing to take Cohen in a PPR league, but you, you, you'll see I've got him at 135 overall. Probably not going to get a lot of shares with him at that point. Um, Montgomery's the guy I want in this backfield. He's right on the fringe of the RB2s for me. I think he could easily end up in the fat part of the RB2 curve, a solid weekly starter. It's not sexy. He's not fast, but he is a good receiver. Um, and, you know, I've heard people say, hey, Le'Veon Bell wasn't good his rookie year. Well, yeah, but Le'Veon Bell was better. I'm not saying this guy's going to be Le'Veon Bell, but I do think he's going to have a better second year than his first year, and I think at his price, he does pay off for fantasy. The problem I have with Montgomery, and you guys are probably already there because you heard me talking about this before, is that for me to take Montgomery, unless he's going to like slip into the sixth, and even sometimes then, I've got compelling receivers on the board that I don't want to pass up. So generally speaking, I just want to have better running backs than Montgomery so I can be hammering receivers in those rounds where he's generally taken. But in a scenario where maybe the player I don't want is there for me in the third, so let's say maybe I take Allen Robinson as my third player, then maybe if Montgomery's there for me in the fourth or the fifth, I could pull the trigger and he could be a good option there. Um, you know, or, you know, say I go you know, Kittle in the second round because he's easily the best thing on the board. And then I go receiver in the third because my running backs aren't there. Then I might have to jump a Montgomery in the fifth to, because I need a two-back and I don't want to mess around with that. Um, generally speaking, as I mentioned before, I want to stay out of that scenario. But, you know, you never know. You never know. Um, let's move down to the Bengals. Uh, a three-headed backfield at this point, but the one head at the top should be getting most of the action. Action. It's all mixing. After that, we've got Gio Bernard and Travion Williams sort of in a dogfight for the backup job. My money's on Gio long-term. Obviously, Travion's got a lot of ability. Um, so Mixon's the guy. Gio's the handcuff if you're drafting one, which, you know, ideally you're not doing. But, you know, in some leagues, it's, you know, people talk about handcuffing like it's crazy, but I think a lot of these people play in short bench leagues. In deep bench leagues, if the handcuff's there late enough, you look at your situation and you consider it. And, you know, Bernard is talented enough where if he was getting 80% of the juice, he'd probably be in your lineup. So, you know, a worthwhile endeavor, perhaps. Uh, Cleveland, we talked about. Chubb, second round, beast. Uh, Kareem Hunt, for me, is an interesting player. He's sort of a look-at-my-team do I have the ability to do this? Um, the receivers I'm getting in the fifth round make it hard. But the minute I feel like there's nothing else compelling on the board and Kareem Hunt is still on the board, I'm taking Kareem F. and Hunt, man. Because if something happens to Chubb, which is not like outside of the realm, I mean, he's, he's had major knee injuries in the past, 
I mean, Hunt moves up into the middle of the first round in terms of value. And I think he's got PPR standalone appeal as a strong flex. So basically, you're taking him several rounds above his floor to get first round upside in the sixth round. It's it's an interesting trade-off, but I think it's it, particularly in leagues that might be tough to win, having a guy like Kareem Hunt can give you one more way to become a dominant team. Um, let's move down to the Cowboys. You know, look, two backs here I care about, Zeke and Pollard. I am not taking Pollard as a standalone value because there's just too much skill talent on this team. You know, unless his touches are coming at Zeke's expense, I don't see how he's getting them. You know, they're not they're not putting him in the slot when they when they've got three monster receivers. Uh, now, pa- Pollard's value could come up if they've got injuries. If injuries start piling up, then maybe they start finding other ways to use Pollard. But for me, right now, um, you know, he's more handcuff than standalone. Um, and the problem with that is sometimes he goes too early where I'm not willing to handcuff him. But if he's there late for me in a deep league and I've got Zeke, sure, why not? Um, and one of the reasons I'm not in love with Pollard and I don't want to whammy Zeke, um, but you know, again, Zeke's just been so durable. You know, I, you know, if you're taking Pollard as a zero RB option, I mean, it makes sense because his upside's ridiculous, but you need to get an injury that hasn't happened yet. Um, I think that's worth mentioning. Uh, the Denver backfield. Uh, I have downgraded Gordon in recent weeks because Lindsey has been getting a lot of passing game looks in camp, which is a little odd, but if they are going to use Lindsey in passing situations, that elevates Lindsey's value and it hurts Gordon's value. It's an indication that they really like Lindsey, which makes sense because the guy's really good. He's very effective, Um, but they didn't want him to be a heavy touchback. They didn't think Freeman was ready to be a big dog lead guy, I guess, and they brought in Gordon. They paid him. Gordon's going to touch the ball like 15 to 18 times a week. Lindsey, probably less, probably in the 10 area, um, but uh, Lindsey's, if Lindsey's going to be catching passes, he's got some standalone, so I now have him in the top 100, uh, and I've got Gordon now down there at the 3-4 turn. Uh, I used to have Gordon in there in that Jonathan Taylor area. I've flipped them, okay? Um I don't know about Freeman in any league. I think he needs an injury to become relevant. But I do think he's talented. I think people are forgetting that Royce Freeman can play. Um, But, you know, for me, I'm not really targeting this backfield, but I'm willing to get involved if I have to. That's probably the best way to say it. Moving down to Detroit, um, the guy I'm targeting is DeAndre Swift. I don't like the fact that Carrion is looking more and more like a pounder. The fact that he's still wearing a brace and Swift is healthy. Swift is a smart back. He went to, you know, he, he played at a school where they teach running backs how to play football. So, you know, I really, really like Swift. I don't think it's necessarily going to happen from the drop. Right, you know, it might take him a couple weeks to get up to speed, but if I can get DeAndre Swift in the sixth round, there's got to be a really compelling reason on the board for me not to do it. If I'm hurting for a running back, I might even go in the fifth. The only thing you need to remember with Swift is that the payoff is maybe a little gradual. You know, he may be flex level early on in the season, maybe not even flex level for all we know. But at some point, I really think the cream's going to rise here, and I think he's going to be a monster um, at some point in his career probably at some point this year, I think he moves into that solid weekly RB2 starting area. Uh, Bo Scarborough and Jonathan Williams, both worth mentioning. Both of them need injuries, I think, to become relevant. Uh, moving on over to Green Bay, uh, we already talked about Aaron Jones. I really do like him, especially if you can get him late second round. 
Uh, again, I think he's an interesting draft and flip after a couple weeks player, if you're that kind of uh, riverboat gambler like myself. Um, next guy up that I would take clearly is A.J. Dillon. Love this guy. Uh, the COVID, I'm sure, will slow his initial progress. Uh, Aaron Jones, I think, is too good to be pushed out, certainly uh, by a rookie. I don't see it happening. In future years, could this thing develop into a two-headed backfield where both guys are getting a lot? Yeah, I think it could. And maybe at some point, Aaron Jones doesn't get re-signed and A.J. Dillon is the guy. Who knows? Um, but for now, Aaron Jones is the guy you want. Dillon is the guy to grab as a handcuff. He could have some standalone appeal in mid-size and big leagues once he starts scoring touchdowns, which I think personally, I think is sort of an inevitability. The thing, just while we're on A.J. Dillon, and you know, if you guys have been around and, and listened to my rookie stuff, you've already heard this, but I think people are underestimating this guy as a football player. I don't think people realize how good a runner he is. I think some people think he's just a power back. I think he's more than just a power back. And I mean, look, it's sort of like saying Derrick Henry is more than just a power back. He's an exceptional power back. He does things most power backs don't do. That's sort of what I'm getting at. A.J. Dillon runs low, and he is able to move laterally to keep guys from getting square hits on him. And if you don't get square on A.J. Dillon, you don't have a chance. So he's a unique talent, a really unique talent, much the way that Derrick Henry is. Now, he's not. he doesn't have the speed that a guy like Henry has, but he's got... For, for his size, boy, does he have some speed. And he's just really hard to tackle. I mean, you're not, I don't care who you are, you're not bringing this guy down with an arm. You're just not. Um, so, you know, I just don't see how Jamal, Jamal Williams hangs on to the backup role for very long. Probably the first couple of weeks he'll be getting some action, but I think at some point this becomes the Jones and Dylan show. Um, and if you can sort of play Jones and get all of that production until this thing starts becoming a little bit more shared, and then move them at the right time, I think you can really come out ahead. Um, so that's sort of how I see this backfield. Jones, like him a lot. Dylan, worth owning in mid-size to big leagues. Jamal Williams needs an injury to be relevant, and we've seen what Jamal Williams is even when he's getting touches. Not a big fantasy guy. Um, let's move down to Houston. Uh, a compelling backfield. You got the Johnsons, uh, David and Duke. That's sort of Ew, that's sort of weird. I hadn't put that together before. Um, so, obviously, if David Johnson is David Johnson, and you may have noticed, I've moved him up a little bit. Uh, I had him late 4th, early 5th. Now I've got him at the 3-4 turn. You know, word out of camp is that he looks good. So, you know, obviously, this is a guy who just looked horrible last year. So if he's, if he's passing the eye test... Um, with the coaches and the people watching camp, I'm going to lean in a little bit. Look, if David Johnson, we, if we knew he was 100%, no back issues, completely locked in, and if Duke Johnson wasn't there, you know, David Johnson, I think, is in the second round. Um, you know, let's not kid ourselves. So, there, you know, getting David Johnson at the 3-4 turn, if you're willing to take the risk, if you need a back at that point, I don't know if it's something I want to do, but certainly there's upside in that. Because if Johnson plays well, he could be, you know, uh, you know, probably 18 touches a week, uh, maybe more. Four or five of them are going to be receptions. Um, certainly Duke Johnson's going to be getting, you know, his targets every week too, uh, and maybe some carries. But if David Johnson shows up and plays like David Johnson, this thing's going to be his. Now, the other side of the coin is, the last time I saw David Johnson, I, I you know, it looked like he was running with a piano on his back. I mean, the dude looked awful. He did not look like David Johnson. So uh, that's where Duke's value comes in. 
if if David Johnson's playing at like 60% the way it was last year, Duke's going to outplay him in practice, he's going to outplay him in games, and eventually he's going to end up getting half the juice or more, uh, at some point could just take the gig. And if for people who don't think it's possible that some other back takes a gig from David Johnson, hey, it only happened last year, folks. Kenyon Drake, a guy most people didn't even think was any good. So, you know... It, you know, I think Duke Johnson's probably as good as Kenyon Drake, to be honest with you. So, you know, it could happen again. So I love being in the Duke Johnson business, round 11, 12, something like that, if I've got the team put together where I can start taking those types of backs in that area, okay? If there was a third back on this roster that I cared about, it would be Karan Higdon. He's not much of a pass catcher. So, you know, wouldn't have tons of ceiling. But I do think if something happened to the Johnsons, it would probably be... Probably Higdon getting the most juice, I think. My, this is just a guess. Okay, moving back down to the Colts. Now, we talked about this a little bit. I am targeting Taylor in that third-round area. Marlon Mack, if he did not exist, I would be targeting Taylor probably five to ten spots earlier. Uh, I think Mack is going to get touches. I think he's probably going to get 20 to 30% of this backfield, um, which is going to put uh, you know a definite cap on Taylor's upside. Um, and then you've got the Nime Hines factor. Now, uh, the, the Colts could really go at this a number of ways. Obviously, Rivers is all about throwing passes. Um, you know, you know, they don't travel very far in the air. He throws his running backs a lot of passes. Um, they may make Hines the designated pass down receiver. In which case, in larger PPR leagues, he's going to have some value. Um, so you know, you could have a scenario where Taylor's worth a lot and Hines is worth you know a good solid flex in a PPR, and Mac is just an amazing asset if something happens to either one of them. Um, you know, there is the possibility where this is just a three-way share and nobody has much value and we end up overpaying for Taylor. That's a possibility too. Um, the only one of these guys I'm really targeting right now is Taylor. If I start getting a vibe that Hines is going to be really involved in full PPR leagues, I might start moving him up just a smidge, okay? Let's move down. And I just, you know, the one thing we need to say about this backfield, Marlon Mack, when he's been healthy, has looked great running the ball for this team. They're going to be blocking for the run even better this year. So, you know, if they're sitting there going, hey, we don't want to give Taylor too much juice, it's not going to be surprising to me if Taylor's just running slightly ahead of Mack, in which case Mack's only going to be worth you know, slightly less than 10. These are both backs who can do a lot of damage with good blocking. Uh, Taylor, certainly more of a home run hitter, sure. So, you know, if they're both getting, say, 14, 15 touches a week, I would prefer Taylor for sure. But Taylor's going to be struggling to have RB2 value in that scenario where Mac will be a decent flex. Um, so, you know, basically, the, the thing with the Colts' backfield is this. All three backs are in great situations for their skill set. Hines is with Rivers. The other two backs get helped by Rivers, uh, you know, a, you know, propensity to targeting running backs as well. So in the passing game, they all have that Rivers bump. And then when it comes to running the Rock, Taylor and Mack both do it really well. And both of them are running behind a really good offensive line with a coaching staff that likes to pound the Rock. So it's all about workload in this backfield. Whoever's getting the most touches is going to be worth something. There's no doubt about it. If this team is kicking ass, they could all be worth something. But if it's a three-man backfield, obviously ceiling for any one of the three is going to be limited. And if Taylor takes the backfield, and that could look like 50% with the other guys each getting 25, that could be what taking the backfield means. But if he gets half of this backfield, he's going to be fringe RB2 value, and he could have RB1 weeks in there when he makes big plays. So, you know, Taylor, definitely the guy I want to go after.
Okay. Moving down to, oof, Jacksonville. <laughs> wow, what do you say about Jacksonville? Fournette, I'm fading probably irrationally. I, if, if you're a person who really believes in Leonard Fournette and you want to take him there, late third, mid-fourth, God bless you. I do think the volume will be there. If he can play really, really well, he could have an okay season. But Jacksonville's not going to block it really well. They're not going to have game scripts that value early down running. And he's not a guy who scored a lot of touchdowns, nor is there any reason to think he's going to score a lot of them this year. So, you know, and this is a team that was really trying to get rid of the guy. We've talked about that. Silva indicated when, when I did 32 backfields with him that this guy conceivably could not make it to opening day. So, I, you know, look, for me, I'm just fading Fournette. There's not, I mean, some people think, oh, you, 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 if you fade Fournette and he goes off, you're going to hate yourself. Well, not really, because I'm fading him in an area where I'm taking really good players instead of him. So, you know, for the most part, someone's going to hook you up and take Fournette in the third round, and it's not your problem. If he sneaks into the fifth, then you have to sit there and fight the urge. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not going to take him, to be honest. Um, and, and look, does that mean I'm right? No. It just means I'm not comfortable with this one. I, you know, I'm not gonna. There's too many players in that area that I love for me to take a player that I'm uncomfortable with. And in most cases, I'm gonna have my running backs already. The rest of this backfield, Chris Thompson in deep PPR leagues could have some appeal, but look, he never stays healthy. We know this. Um, I, I think Ryko Armstead or Divine Ozigbo. These are both backs. If you guys remember from last year, I think they both have some nice explosive traits. Um, it's possible that Jacksonville is looking to move Fournette because they figured, hey, why not try these kids? They both run hard. So uh, I would keep an eye on those guys. At this time, I don't think either one. Uh, maybe Armstead's a little draftable right now in deep leagues. Uh, but this is a backfield to, to reload the news every day. Check out what people are saying. If there's any coach speak, you're going to want to hear it. Um, you know, because even if we're not drafting Armstead and Ozigbo, they could end up being factors in free agency. This is definitely a backfield backfield where you want to have, you know, you want to be keeping current tabs on all the guys in this backfield that I mentioned. All right, let's move over to Kansas City. Now, we've already talked um, about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the fresh prince. Um, clearly, he's the guy you want here. Uh, the real debate, and, it, you know, consensus, consensus is that DeAndre Washington is the back to own behind him. I'm, I'm down with that. Um, having said that, Darwin Thompson is a talented young back. Who knows? You never know when he might emerge. Um, maybe a little bit more dynamic than Washington, possibly. Um, Elijah McGuire from the Jets, not a bad little back. So um, there are some other guys, and Darrell Williams coming off an ACL. Maybe he's a guy we shouldn't completely forget about. So um, this is a backfield that I'm still watching every day, looking for information. Um, you know, Thompson saying all the stuff, typical, you know, I'm not a rookie anymore. I'm not a deer in the headlights anymore, yada, yada, yada. That's all well and good. I, you know, I, I am very open-minded to Darwin Thompson being better this year than last year. Um, I'm open-minded to Darrell Williams coming back healthy and being the big back compliment guy in this backfield. I think there's a lot of things that could happen that you know aren't really being discussed. But um, you know, Ceh at the top, I think is 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 a lock right now. I think the guy to go after after that is DeAndre Washington. But let's not forget about Darwin Thompson, McGuire, and Williams. Um, you know, Andy Reid doesn't bring in worthless running backs. He's pretty good at targeting guys and getting things out of them. So. Um, I guess Carlos Hyde last year, notwithstanding, although Hyde went on and had a decent year. Um, so, 
you know, this backfield is what it is right now. Hilaire's the guy you want. Uh, DeAndre Washington's the guy to buy second. But definitely, I think this is a backfield where you constantly just keep checking up on it. You never know when you're going to get some actionable information. You can hear the, uh, the ambulance going on in the background. As I have mentioned um, several times, I live right down the street from the ambulance distribution center. So when someone gets hurt in my area, I know about it. Um, hopefully that'll go away in a sec, and hopefully whoever it is is okay. Now, moving over to the Chargers. Eckler, clearly at the top of the pile. Clearly a guy I'm willing to take as a high-end RB2 or low-end RB1. Not a problem. We've talked about that. Um, Justin Jackson's the guy I like behind Eckler. Not a big fan of Josh Kelly. He's got a little Johnny Bravo to him, in my opinion. Um, you know, not an awful football player. He might stick in the league, but I don't, I don't see the special that a lot of other people uh, have seen in him. So for me, it's Eckler, then Jackson, then Kelly. Um, not really sure that I want any of these guys for fantasy this year other than Eckler, just because, you know, yeah, this team's going to run a lot, but I think mostly what they want to do is slow games down. So not a team I'm really looking to get involved in if I don't have to. Moving over to the Rams, same city. Uh, Cam Akers is the guy I'm looking to get, ideally in the sixth round if possible. Uh, in some situations, I might jump for him in the fifth. Uh, Daryl Henderson, not a back that, you know, I really have anything against. Uh, I was not as high on him as consensus, but you know I don't think he's a dog or anything like that. Uh, he do, he is nursing a hamstring right now, so I've pulled him down my board. He's not a guy I'm, I'm not going to target a guy who I don't think is the best guy in the backfield when he's got a hamstring, uh, especially when there are four backs on this team who can all play. We forget about John Kelly. John Kelly's a talented back. You know, yeah, he hasn't been what we all thought. Maybe he hasn't been what they have thought. But you know what? He's still there. That says something. So they think he can play a little bit. Malcolm Brown, we know, is a big back who you know who can run inside. He can catch the football a little bit. Good goal line guy. So really, this thing's still open. We don't know where the roles are going to shake out. I know that the guy I want to invest in is Akers right now. Um, and ideally, I'm doing it in the sixth round. Um, after that, you know, in the deep league, I might take a look at Malcolm Brown. But I'm really probably not drafting Rams backs after Akers. That's probably the way I personally am going to play this. Uh, moving over to the Raiders. Um, you know, Jacobs is the guy. We want to find out that he's 100% healthy. I think if he is, he's going to get more this year. But look, Jacobs is a guy. He didn't make it through all the way healthy last year. He never had a big workload in college. So, you know, is Jacobs a guy where, you know, he's got sort of a violent running style. I mean, you know, I respect it, but it's not necessarily a way to stay healthy, especially if you've had some shoulder stuff. Um, but he's a good back. We know that. And he's very capable in the past game, even though he didn't do much there last year. So I like him in the second round because if Jacobs plays 16 games, he could easily pay off like a guy I took in the middle of the first. So Jacobs is on my board. Definitely like him. Are there any other backs in this backfield that I want to get involved in? No, not really. I'm not as high on Bowden Jr. as some people. I think he's, I like him as a football player, but I don't think he's, you know, twitchy enough, if you will, uh, to use a Mayock word since we're on his team. Uh, they just picked up Theo Riddick. I think Riddick is past his prime. Uh, this is Jacobs for me. Uh, I'm not getting into Jalen Richard either. Um, Jacobs is the guy I want here. If he were to go down, I think Devontae Booker probably would be the early down runner. And he hasn't run well for a while. So Jacobs is the back here for me. Moving over to Miami. 
Uh, Matt Breed is the guy I'd like to have because I think game script is going to favor him more often than Howard. I like both of these backs. You guys know I think Jordan Howard's a pretty decent power back. Uh, but Miami is meh on the offensive line. I don't think they're going to be playing with a whole lot of leads, personally. Um, so for me, I'd rather have Breida around that same area. Obviously, Breida's a guy who's had trouble staying healthy, so we don't want to invest too much in him. Um, but as you guys, you returning Rotobonners know, I'm a big fan of the way Matt Breida runs. Um, so really, for me, they're both in the early 30s. Uh, what I, you know, for me, I'm sort of in, in PPR leagues. If Matt Breida slips a little, I'm probably going to pounce on that. Uh, nobody else in this backfield does anything for me. Uh, no offense to my guy Overzet, but. I, I do I do not kneel in front of the Laird uh, and Gaskin and Balage. <laughs> they change his name to Ballast. Anyway, uh, let's jump jump down to Minnesota. Uh, Dalvin Cook, obviously interesting with this whole. You can't technically hold out, but it sounds like you know he's basically sort of letting them know that you know if uh, you know there, if there's a an optional surgery, I might just opt to have it. And if he gets dinged up, he's probably going to wait until he's 100% to step back in the field. He's not happy with this contract. So there's some issues with him that makes it a little more dicey. If I'm in a big league and I do take Cook, I think I'm going to probably move to get Alexander Madison to protect my ass. I think in this situation, it's more important to do it. Um, and in leagues where the benches are too short to handcuff, maybe just stay away from the Minnesota backfield. If, if, if there are other guys in that area, you can just take somebody else and be happy. Go that way. Um, Mike Boone and Amir Abdul are both in this backfield, and they both have potential if for some reason they were getting volume. I'm not targeting either one in leagues uh, right now. Moving down to New England. Woo! Oh boy, boy is this ugly. Uh, Belichick hates our fantasy teams, we know that. Uh, James White, a lot of people are liking James White, taking him in the 50s. I've got him down around 100, and he's off my board even there. I'm not taking James White this year. I just don't know how he's going to work with Cam Newton. James White was a thing when he was with Tom Brady. Tom Brady hits the running backs really well. It's in his disposition. When the rush is on, Brady gets it to a back. That's how it works. Cam Newton will do some of that, certainly. He improved targeting running backs after he worked with Christian McCaffrey. But, you know, getting the ball to Christian McCaffrey is different than getting the ball to James White in terms of what they can do after the catch and stuff like that. I, you know, we'll see how this breaks out. The other thing about Newton is you're going to want running backs working with him as often as possible who are running threats because you want to run some RPO and stuff like that. So, you know, I am not willing to pay for James White this year. I'm going to let someone else do that. Now, the, you know, the other guys are a different story. Burkhead's available really late. I could see him having a bigger-than-expected role. I could see wanting to roster Burkhead in a big PPR. Harris and Michelle, I have both of them basically tied at 150 now. One of these guys should be the early down runner. I'm more interested in Harris. He's fresh. He doesn't have any injuries. He doesn't have a bone-on-bone -bone in his knee. And then, as you guys... Rotobonners have been around for a couple years. No, I like Damian Harris. I think he's got good feet. He's got good size. He's a good blocker. He's pretty good in the passing game. Um, you know, I don't think it's a shock that the New England took him. I don't think it's a shock that they gave him a red shirt year last year when they had so many backs. So I Harris is the guy I'd like to get. But right now, I'm sort of at that traditional Patriots backfield thing where I'm going to draft a guy who's been on the board too long, probably Harris or Burkhead, if they stay on the board. And the good thing about that is, with Michelle returning to practice, Harris is now going to start falling down boards. So in deep leagues, I like the idea of getting Damian Harris late. Um, I took him in the fishbowl months ago. Um, 
and that's about it. And I, I didn't even mention Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller's on this team. So he's another guy who could come in and mess things up. So there's just too many guys. I'm fine with using Patriot running backs, you know, from a utility basis it, it, during the year. I might pick one off the waiver wire. Maybe I'll take one really late. But I am not going to put myself in a position where I lean in on one of these running backs and then get punked two weeks later when Lamar Miller gets a job or Harris takes for Michelle or vice versa. Or, we, you know, I'm just... <laughs> they and, and not to mention, if they've got like four or five of these guys active, I mean, they're so opponent-specific. You know, Michelle could get 15 carries one week and five the next, or the same thing could happen to Harris. So you really have to be careful with the Patriot backfield. My advice on the Patriots is buy Cam. All right, let's move down to New Orleans. Um, three guys to talk about here. Kamara, mid-first round, love him. Latavius Murray, not on him as much as some other people. Ty Montgomery's been having a big camp. Ty Montgomery's an excellent receiver. He's finally on a team where that skill set actually fits. I think in deep PPR leagues, taking Ty Montgomery really late could be interesting. He might be the way to handcuff Kamara in a deep league. Right, Because I don't think they're going to give Lat Murray the full juice. I think Murray and Montgomery will split with Montgomery catching more passes. So, instead of like drafting Alvin Kamara and handcuffing him with Murray in like the 10th, it, again, deep league, if you've got like 18 rounds or 19 or 20, use one of your last picks on Ty Montgomery. Go that way. You give yourself, you may end up giving yourself just as much protection and you don't have to you know, give up an upside player to do it. Um, Let's move down to the Giants. Um, Saquon, if Saquon gets hurt, it's going to be an absolute shit show behind him. So really, I'm not handcuffing Saquon. I'm just making sure I have some running back depth in case something goes wrong. Dion would be the guy, I think. But really, you're not 100% sure. Dion's getting long in the tooth. I'm not a big Gallman fan. Javon Leak's a rookie. Um... So really, for me with the Giants, Barkley's really the only guy I'm really interested in. Um, moving down to the Jets, I'm interested in Bell if I need a running back, if he stays on the board too long. Um, Frank Gore, I would not touch with a 10-foot pole. P. Ryan hasn't had much action in camp. That's LaMichael P. Ryan. Um, and Josh Adams hasn't had much buzz either. So really, this is get involved with Le'Veon Bell. I would not be afraid in a PPR league to draft Le'Veon Bell. You know, I really wouldn't. It's just not, you know, getting involved with the Jet offense is a risky thing because Gase is a nightmare. You just don't know what he's going to do. Um, and he obviously doesn't like Le'Veon Bell. Um, now, the Jets have improved their blocking a little bit. Um, you know, if Bell is, you know, if Bell makes it to the fourth round and I need a running back, I might do it. I might do it. But it's not something I want to do. Um, okay, let's head over to the Eagles. Now, the compelling thing about the Eagles is that really, no matter which running back gets stuck in this backfield, if they're getting a juice, we're going to want him for fantasy. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Elijah Holyfield, if he makes the team, you know, with his cement loafers. I mean, running backs are going to put up points here. You know, if, if we get three injuries and Michael Warren, I mean, if he hasn't been cut yet, oh, I sort of like Michael Warren. He's huge. Um, you know, anybody could be putting up numbers on this team because they are going to stress defenses all over the field and you're going to be able to run, okay? But the two running backs we want to talk about the most are Miles Sanders and Boston Scott with a nod to Corey Clement, who could be extremely useful if there's an injury. We don't want to forget at all about Corey Clement, okay? But Clement, I'm pretty sure, is the third wheel here. Sanders Sanders sounds like he has an injury that's going to get him back on the field for week one or certainly by like week two. So we want to 
keep Sanders there as that first round running back. But you guys know where I'm going. I'm a big fan of Boston Scott. Uh, I think he's underrated for all the things he can do. He's a good receiver, makes people miss in space. Uh, and I think people wrongfully think of him as a space back. Um, and I get that. I mean, he can be a space back for sure, but he does more than that. This guy can run inside. He can make multiple pe people miss on the same run. He can string moves together. And here we go again. Sounds like this time we have fire engines and cops. Sorry, folks. Um, <laughs> I live near a hub. What can I say? Um, so I, I'm not pulling off of Sanders. I think he is a first-round back. I think as long as he's healthy for most of the year, he's going to be putting up, you know, mid-level to bottom-end level RB, RB1 numbers. And he does have the upside. Miles Sanders does, does have the upside to just blow the thing away. He could end up being the RB1 if the Eagles put it all together. But Boston Scott is a dynamic back in his own right. He's smaller and squatter, and I think in a way he could probably be better at staying healthy because he doesn't take the kind of shots that Miles Sanders takes. So I'm a big believer in Boston Scott. He's my RB38, pretty aggressive. Um, and if he stayed on the board long enough, I would not mind handcuffing this backfield because I think whoever is starting for this team is going to be awesome for fantasy. Um, so again, in order of the way I see this backfield in terms of how good they are, Sanders the starter, then Boston Scott, then Corey Clement, then Michael Ward, then Holyfield, and we'll see who ends up making this backfield. Moving down to Pittsburgh. <laughs> the more things change, the more they remain the same. James Conner is healthy now. As long as he stays healthy, he's going to be the lead back. The back behind him isn't going to be Anthony McFarlane, which I really tried telling people in the spring. Nothing against McFarlane, because if you remember pre-combine, I was singing this guy's praises. I love the way this kid runs. I think he's exciting. I think he's got some Dalvin to him, but he's very undisciplined. He's never carried a big workload. I think he's a project, and I think someday he could be the back for the Steelers. Maybe sometime next year or the year after, and maybe it never happens for him. He's a talent who needs to develop. Now, Connor's the lead dog. Right? If Connor goes down, then it's going to be Benny Snell's gig. Then they would probably mix in Jalen Samuels on passing downs. Okay, um, And it's probably worth noting that Wendell Smallwood is in this backfield too. All right, I'm going to pause for a second. Man, something's going on. Um, so really, all the backs in this backfield are worthy of mention. Connor, Benny Snell, that's... You know, those are the two guys who I think are have the most value. Then Samuels could have some value in a deep PPR league. He would need an injury. McFarland is the guy with a lot of, you know, twitchiness and upside and speed and playmaking ability. Probably not going to be a big factor this year. And Smallwood will be interesting to see if he makes the team. Just a good all-around back who plays hard, runs hard, good receiver. We know about Smallwood. Um, so we'll firm this up when we see who makes the final roster. Um, but Connor is a guy I'm willing to take late second. Snell in deep leagues is a guy I am willing to handcuff. Why? Because we know that the Steelers tend to use their lead back a lot. Um, and I think Snell would get pulled mostly in really, you know, you know, straight up 100% passing down situations. Other than that, I think he'd be the guy and he would get all the goal line juice. Um, moving over to Seattle. Oh, boy. What do you say here? I mean, I guess the thing I really want to say is that you know, my strong preference is to not really be involved in this backfield. Carson hasn't been in camp. He's coming off a hip injury. He's a contact runner, so I really don't want to invest in Chris Carson in the third round, personally. Uh, Carlos Hyde, I think even if he goes in there and gets the thing, he's going to run into Rashad Penny at some point. That's not so great for him. And I mean, 
you know, it's really I'm aiming higher than Carlos Hyde anyway. Uh, DJ Dallas is probably the one guy here who's, you know, a guy I may end up targeting late in drafts if it's a PPR league. He looks like he may have some passing down uh, action here, and who knows if none of these other guys come up big, maybe he even gets some running action. So I think DJ Dallas is maybe a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, he could be a deep target, particularly in PPR leagues. But for me, Seattle and Travis Homer is still there, and we'll have to see who ultimately you know is on the roster as they're moving into Week One. Um, but uh, this is a backfield for me that ideally, unless somebody's really slipping, uh, I'm not looking to get involved. Now, when we move over to San Francisco, every single back that makes this roster is going to be important. Um, you know, we've talked about Mostert. I do think he's looking at that circa, as I said on Twitter, circa 50% roll, um, similar to what he got last year in the area of 12, 13, 14, 15 touches most weeks. I do think he'll catch some more passes this year because I think he can do it. Um, so I like Mostert. I think he's worth his ADP, you know, right around end of the fourth, early fifth kind of area. But you know, personally, I'd rather be drafting receiver in that area of the draft. So if I'm taking him, it's probably going to be out of need. So hopefully I don't really do that. Um, and then you get to Coleman and McKinnon. Um, Coleman, as Silva said to us on the podcast a couple weeks ago, is a guy, you know, where he was never really healthy last year. Could he jump back into the mix? Maybe eat into Mostert's workload? Hey, anything's possible. Uh, if Coleman falls far enough in midsize and big leagues, I certainly would take a shot at him. Right in the same area of the board, I have McKinnon, who's apparently playing really well, uh, catching passes in camp. If McKinnon comes back at 100%, he's another guy who could get in there and wreck some of what Mostert has. Who knows? McKinnon is, in my opinion, the most talented back on this team. Unfortunately, he's had some major injuries, so we really don't know which Jarek McKinnon we're going to see. Um, but if McKinnon falls far enough in the draft, particularly if it's PPR, I'll get involved. And then there's um, Jeff Wilson and Jamichael Hasty. Um, if either one of these guys ends up getting carries, they're going to be a significant player. So we need to know about them, too. Um, and when it comes to early season free agents, um, you know, uh, we'll know who made the team and maybe who we want to go after in deeper leagues and so on and so forth. But every running back that I've named on this roster, if they're active, if they're getting touches, they're a fantasy-relevant player, period. This team just runs it too well for it not to be the case. Uh, moving over to Tampa Bay, uh, and we are... Gosh, we're already at 110 minutes on this, so look, a lot to cover, so we're going long. Um, but we're getting we're getting close to the finish line. Bear with me now, we're almost done. Uh, Ronald Jones is the back in this backfield that I'm interested in. If he's there for me when I need a back in the 5th or the 6th, I'm more than willing to, to do the Ronald Jones thing. Not a guy I really want. I would like something a little safer. Um, but... You know, on this team, he's the only person I'm interested in. Keyshawn Vaughn, we talked about. We know the paradigm with him. He was a, you know, a moderately talented rookie coming out on a COVID year. They were hoping his passing down ability would give him a role. It hasn't really happened. They're saying they're going to use him on kickoffs. And obviously, you know, dynasty leaguers who invested in him. Now, guys, I warned you not to. If you did, you're going to you're going to need some good things to happen for you. And, you know, he's going to need to make an impact this year because you know what if you know Jones could take off, they could draft another guy next year. And Vaughn is, you know, he's a normal talent. It's nothing special. So I'm not getting into Keyshawn Vaughn and redraft. Ogumbawale in really deep PPR leagues, maybe, but not for me. Um, LaShawn McCoy is dead wood for me. Um, so really, unless Jones falls to me and I need him, probably not getting involved in the Tampa Bay backfield this year. Um, Tennessee, pretty clear cut. Derrick Henry's the guy. Uh, Darrington Evans is probably the handcuff if you're handcuffing. Don't know that I really want to handcuff Derrick Henry. I'd rather just get other backs. Um, and they did sign Jeremy McNichols. Um, so... 
you know, over the next couple of weeks, see what the buzz is with Evans and McNichols. If you are a handcuffer, you probably want to get as updated information on that situation as you can when you draft. Um, coming across the wire now, before I uh, shut this podcast down, now I don't know the details here, but it's definitely worth throwing in, given this is the Running Back Podcast. Um, I'm moving around here. I'm going to jump over to Roto World. Um, but it appears oof, uh, David Montgomery has been carted off the field at practice. Um, non-contact injury doesn't sound good. So we may be looking at an ACL here. Maybe we're lucky and it's not a big deal. Uh, but David Montgomery, until further notice, should not be drafted. I wouldn't take him. Uh, and now we're looking at Tariq Cohen. we got to move him up the board now. Is Ryan Nall going to move up our board? Or are they going to go out and get a running back? Or are we going to find out tonight that, McCann, that uh, Montgomery had a really bad cramp or something like that? Um, but do not draft without firming up this situation in Chicago. Um, by the you know I'm recording this around noon. By the time, well actually it's around 12:45. By the time this thing, by the time you're listening to this, it might be you know tonight or tomorrow, and we might know more. But um, definitely make sure you have a handle on the Chicago backfield. Are they going to be the team that jumps out and signs somebody big off the wire? Is you know, I mean, if they, I'd say if, if a slow guy who catch passes um, appeals to them, maybe they're the team for Devontae Freeman. Sigmund Bloom just pointed that out on Twitter. Um, so this is now a backfield. we got to continue to put a fine point on it each day. We'll follow the rumblings and the movement and all of that. Um, the last backfield we're going to talk about is Washington. Really, the only back on Washington that I'm targeting right now is Bryce Love if he falls, because he's the guy I really like from a talent perspective. I'm not going to knock anybody for liking Antonio Gibson. For me, I saw a disconnect you know, in terms of fitting into a scheme. He didn't always perform the way I wanted him to. Now, is he a big play guy? Obviously, you can get this guy into space. He's big, he's fast, he can do a lot of damage. I don't know if that plays as a rookie in the NFL uh, on a team that's a mess. Now. If you want to target him, go for it. I just I wouldn't do it too early, you know. Personally, for me, loves the guy I would target. If you're in a huge non PPR, you could think about Peterson. Um, Barber could be in play at some point if there's injuries, and then J D McKissick could end up being the passing down back. And in sizable PPR leagues, he could be worth something to some of you. But really, again, for me on this roster, Bryce loves the guy I'm interested in, and and really by and large, when it comes to to Washington. Um, you know, Terry McLaurin's really the guy I'm interested in. The rest of this roster, I just am not that uh, enthused about. So that's a whole lot of running back talk, like an hour and 15 minutes of it. Hopefully um, that was useful for you guys. Hopefully um, this gives some shape and form to the rankings. You understand where the breaking points are. Now, as I continue to update the 500, you'll see where those tiers develop. Anytime you see a bunch of receivers, tight ends, and running backs between, excuse me, and, and quarterbacks between running backs, you know that's a tier. And we don't actually use tiers at Rotobon. When I finish the cheat sheets, we just have an overall rank and a position rank so you can get a feel for a player's value without looking at tiers um so that's going to do it for this pod next up will probably be the receivers we'll see what i'm how i feel tomorrow morning maybe i'll do the tight ends probably going to do both of those tomorrow uh unless i you can see i'm losing my voice a little bit right now here excuse me um but that's going to do it for this pod uh thanks for uh 
for being on the site. Thanks for checking out these podcasts. For those of you who are returning people, especially those who have never donated, if you are in a position to donate, please do, because it keeps the keeps the website running. To those of you who donated um, just yesterday and the day before, thank you. I know who you are. Again, for those of you who want shout-outs on the pod, put a little note um, with your PayPal, and I will give you a shout-out. The reason I don't just do shout-outs randomly is because there are people who may not want their name on a podcast, right? So I'm not just going to shout-out if you didn't ask for it. For anybody who wants a shout-out for a donation, I'm happy to do it. It's fun. It's cool. Um, so the donate button is on the homepage. If you're inclined, please do that. Um, and again, it was really fun at the end of last year when I got a handful of rather big donations because people won their leagues. Um, and for those of you who included stories with those, Big plus. I love hearing about how you won your league. So hit me up on Twitter. Um, I'll shoot you a, a DM and you can you can go on and on and on. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. Onwards, upwards, crush those drafts. Um, the Rotobon 500 will be updated today. And uh, giddy up, man. It's fantasy season.